Good morning. I want to welcome you to Central today where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm really thankful for Pastor Mike preaching on Galatians 4, 1 to 7 last week as we began to see that the movement and, and maturity in the Christian life moves from independence to dependence. To grow up into maturity is to grow up into childlikeness, to sons precious in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Yet the Galatians, as children, were at risk of returning to slavery, just like we sometimes are. But the Lord brought freedom. What does that freedom look like that the Lord brings to his children? Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Father, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes that we might behold Jesus and change us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 8, hear God's word. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come back to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God will stand forever. What does Sasquatch, you know, Bigfoot, what does he have to do with Paul's passage today? It's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it this morning. A few years ago, Missy and I were watching a documentary on the History Channel or A&E or some such channel about finding Bigfoot. And one of the guys on this program was demonstrating how you can tell the difference between a hoax video and a real Bigfoot video. Now, I don't know how he came by his expertise as to be able to judge the real versus the fake, but he was as serious as he could be teaching people how to tell the difference between real and fake Bigfoot. And it's not the hair. He said in his experience, they have different textures of hair. So it's not the hair. It's not even the height because there are some Bigfoot that are juvenile. It's not even the region where you see them because they've been sighted all the way from the Pacific Northwest to China. He says the only way to tell the difference between a fake and a real Bigfoot is to watch the way they walk. He produced this elaborate explanation. 
about how human beings walk and their stride patterns and all of this. And then he showed videos of known hoaxes and said, see, see, this is what a person looks like when they walk. And then he showed bears and other animals and said, see how distinct it is? And then he showed a real video, the real video of Bigfoot. And he said, see, now you can see the difference. And I tell you the truth, I wasn't able to see anything different but he was as convinced as he could be that you can tell a real from a fake big book, Bigfoot by how they walk. Now, again, you might wonder, what does this have to do with Paul's passage today? I think what Paul wants us to know is you can tell the difference between a slave and a son of God by how we walk, by how we live our lives. The, the, the gift of, uh, uh, of being made a son of God turns us uh, to have a certain gait a certain pace of life, a certain kind of life. You can tell the difference between a slave and a son by how we walk. And what Paul lays out for us here in this text is that sons of God walk in freedom. Sons of God walk in freedom. What type of freedom? Well, three ways we see it in this text. First, sons of God walk with freedom of knowing that we have been found, that we've been found. Look at verse eight. Paul tells us that there was a time when these Galatians did not know God. They were, they were enslaved to these pagan gods from the northern part of Galatia. He says they can't save you any more than depending on the law can save Jews. They both end up in the exact same place, pagan idolatry and Jewish dependence upon the law as if it could save us both lead to slavery. Neither one has any hope to change anybody. Paul had said before that the law of God properly understood, it drives us to Jesus. The law of God drives us to, to rest upon Christ, to depend upon Christ, and leads us to long for the power of the Spirit of God that we might obey him as children rather than trying to obey him in order to get something from him. That's what the Judaizers were after. They had turned it all around and thought, I'm going to obey you, God, so that you take note of me. I'm going to obey you, God, so that you give me something that I want. And that turns the law of God into slavery. Truth be told, it challenges we in this room as well. If you read God's word and you think, I need to do all these things here in order to make God love me. I need to do these things in my life so that God will approve of me. I need to do all of these things written here so that God will keep loving me, that God will take notice of me. I must do all of that. If that's the way you look at your Christian life this morning, Paul would say you are enslaved. You've been made a slave of the law of God. If any of us rest on our spiritual attainments in order to feel loved, it will make us radically insecure and self-righteous people because we all know the truth. None of us are able to be good enough to find freedom before God. None of us have the power to be good enough for God. Richard Loveless in his masterful book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, wrote this. Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously, radically insecure people. 
That insecurity shows itself as pride, as a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness and a defensive criticism of other people. He continued, they cling desperately to legal pharisaical righteousness, but envy and jealousy and other sins of the heart grow out of their fundamental insecurity. If we think that we obey God in order to make him take note of us, we obey him in order to make God love us or to have God bless our lives as if we can gain his favor by how we live turns us into slaves. You see yourself there? Radically insecure by trying to be good enough for God. But on the other hand, what Paul wants us to see is that our God does love us. Our God approves of us. Our God loves us apart from all of our present spiritual achievements. That's what the grace of the gospel is all about. That grace comes into our lives to liberate us, to be able to obey, not in order to gain something from God, but to obey because we already have it through trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom flows from that truth that through faith we belong to our heavenly father. We are his precious sons through embracing that bloody cross where Jesus died and was raised again so that our enslavement to sin would be broken. It's only in laying hold of the cross of Jesus that real freedom comes, that real joy can come, knowing that our Father delights in us because we're joined together to Jesus. He says, you were formerly enslaved, verse 9, but now. Things are different now. How? He says it this way, but now that you have come to know God or rather are known by God. That changes our world. There's a relational connection, a a, a relational attachment to the Lord Jesus. There's a personal intimacy that's, that's offered to us, not because we are good, but because God found us. He found us when we were sinners. He found us when we were enslaved, when we were his enemies, when we could do nothing to make him love us. Our God set his affection upon us. Our God makes us his dearly loved children, his sons, his heirs, together with Christ. We find freedom because our God first knew us, because our God found us when we were wandering in slavery to sin. It's where freedom and grace comes from when we realize that our God loves us because he knew us first. St. Louis Cardinals once invited me to sing the national anthem at one of their games. It's true. You might not believe me, but I'm telling you the truth. It was quite an experience. I mean, walking out onto the field before the game and and sitting in the owner's box and eating all the food that I could possibly want. But that privilege came to me not because of my superior vocal skills. It didn't come even because I knew someone. But that honor was given to me because I was known by someone. Because someone knew me. I was invited to sing the national anthem at a Cardinals game because Randy Mayfield knows me. (laughs) We know and love Randy, our retired missions pastor, our singer extraordinaire, and he knows me. And that's, that's fantastic because everybody knows Randy. 
Doesn't matter where you go in the world, everybody knows who Randy Mayfield is. He's a great guy to know, but it's even better if he knows you. Randy had again been invited to sing the anthem at the Cardinals game, and he and I were talking in his office one day, and we came up with this idea. Said, what if, Randy, what if all of the pastors at Central joined together and we sang the anthem together at a game. He thought, that's a great idea. So he picked up the phone, called the Cardinals and said, I would like to have all the, the pastors at Central, the rockin' revs of Central Prez. <laughs> he said, that's what I want you to put on the jumbotron, the rockin' revs of Central Prez. We're all gonna sing this, sing this together. And they thought it was a great idea. Now, this, is, this is fantastic. And so the day came and we went to the field, we were walking out onto the field and hundreds of people are saying hi to Randy. Everybody knows Randy. And I thought to myself, if somebody stopped me and I said, well, I'm out here because I know Randy, it really wouldn't matter at all because everybody knows Randy. It was far better to be known by Randy to be invited by Randy, to walk with him, to sing with him. Nobody's going to ask me to sing in the shower, much less the national anthem. But because Randy Mayfield knew me, I was given an incredible privilege. That's what God's talking about here. Our situation is so much better. We are known by our Father. He's adopted us. He's made us his own. He's given us privileges as sons. He's given us an inheritance together with Jesus. He gives us the rights to come and speak to him as his children. He knows you. He has intimate fellowship with you. Your father is drawn toward you. And your hope is not that how well you know God. Our hope is that God knows us. That he set his affection upon us as his children. He found us in his grace. Not because we're good enough. But because our God loves to forgive sinners like us. And so we ask with Paul, verse 9. Why would we want to return to slavery? Why would we want to go back to the way things were with all the religious ceremonies and the months and the seasons and the weeks and all, all the things that people were doing to try to Gain access to God. Why would we want to trade the freedom of sonship for slavery? Paul would say to us, friends, don't go back into slavery of thinking that we need to do for God in order to be loved by God because we are sons of the king. We've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was sacrificed for us on the cross. We've been adopted into his family and walk in that freedom as sons who were already found and cherished by his power. And through his power, he will enable us to grow up into a family resemblance, to look more like him. But it's not, we don't obey in order to make him love us. We obey because he already does. He already has laid hold of us in Christ. That's what freedom looks like in a son. The freedom of being known by our father. Second, you can tell the difference between a slave and a son in the freedom of being shaped by the word. Look at verse 14. Paul says, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now that little word angel could mean either the, the supernatural being that's, that's amazing, or it can simply mean messenger. 
I think that's what Paul's after here. These people received Paul's ministry. They received his preaching as a messenger of God. When he would come to deliver the word of God to them that would shape them and transform them, that would, that would change them and have them grow up into the types of people that the Lord calls us to be and has freed us to be. He says they even received him as they would receive Jesus himself. That word that was delivered through the messenger Paul had a purpose. It was proclaimed, verse 19 says, in order to form Christ in us. That's what God's after, to shape our lives by his word, to bring transformation, to bring change from the inside out. It's the fruit of the word of God in our lives to make us more like Jesus. The word of God, by the power of the spirit of God, gets into our hearts and it changes us. It changes what we love. It it changes how we live. It turns our lives upside down. Or maybe better, it turns our lives right side up. Because the word of God is active and alive by the spirit of God. It can change you. He can shape you by the power of his word. But sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? For example, when the word of God shows us how much we've been forgiven. When we begin to perceive and understand that our God has pursued us and set his affection upon us and has forgiven so much in our lives, then that same truth about Christ can't help but shape you and me to be the kind of people who want to extend forgiveness to others, to other people who hurt us deeply, even even when that forgiveness comes at a great cost to our pride. Pride melts when we meditate upon the word of God. Pride melts when we meditate upon the cross of Christ and the links to which Jesus has gone to redeem us and give us his mercy. By the work of the Spirit, by and with the word, we are being remade. We are being shaped into the image of Jesus. Do you know places where Jesus is reshaping you? Can you tell? And are you asking him about it? Saying, Lord, I need to be different. Would you make me more like Jesus in this part of my life? Sometimes we're not all that interested in being more like Jesus. We're not all that interested in the people around us being more like Jesus. We would rather them look like me. That's what we see in verse 17 is the Judaizers, they, the Judaizers, make much of you. That is, they flatter the Galatian Christians. They, they talk them up. They puff them up. Why? Verse 17 again, that you may make much of them. They were trying to shut them out, that is to separate them from Paul so that they could recruit these Galatian Christians into their fan club. Rather than being formed to look like Jesus, the Judaizers were interested in forming a church full of many-me's. They wanted, the Judaizers wanted these Gentile Christians to look like them and do church like them and act like them and eat like them and participate in the, 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 the months and the seasons and the traditions of Judaism just like them. They weren't interested in forming Christ in them. They were wanting someone who looks like me. When we're honest, that is a dynamic in our hearts sometimes too. We're interested in a community that looks like me, is devoted to me, has all of my preferences. Makes me very comfortable because everybody around me looks at life exactly the same way and wants exactly the same things. But what the word of God has is something much bigger, much deeper. 
The word of God wants us to shape, wants to shape us to be like Jesus. The word of God wants to shape us to be like Jesus, even if it has very little to being more like me. Where do you see that happen? Well, think about with your children, parents. Are we sometimes more interested in them conforming to our personalities? Conforming to our likes and our dislikes, our, our quirks, our traditions? Or are we purposefully attuned to having Christ formed in them, even if they don't look like me? What's our heart with our friends? Do we want them to be more like Christ or do we want them to be more like us? What's your heart for people? It's the key to unity in a church too. Being more concerned that each person is being formed to look more like Christ even if they don't look more like me. It's the key to unity in a church. Christ being formed in all of his people because we've been found by the Lord. We've been shaped by his word. He lays hold of us that we become more like Christ. That's what a son looks like. Someone who knows he's found, uh, someone who is being shaped by his word. And finally, last part of knowing how a son walks is having the freedom of knowing that we will be used by God. It's a very important piece of a truth that Paul is laboring for us to see here. And it's that the kingdom of God most often does not come through pursuing power. But the kingdom of God most often comes through demonstrations of our frailty and our weakness and our brokenness so that God's power is what is seen and experienced through us. What we see here in this chapter from the Apostle Paul is he's not a hero leader. He's not some hero preacher, but rather he's pointing these saints in Galatia to God's providential care for him, even in the midst of his weakness and his suffering and his brokenness. Look at verse 14. It says, though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. And then in verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. He's saying, is all of you Galatian Christians, you all know about my weakness. It's perhaps that Paul had this eye disease, which would make sense of his statement that they would gouge out their own eyes and, and give them to him. Paul is saying, you've seen the suffering in my life. You've seen the trial in my life, the challenge in my life. And that was the exact occasion for God to teach us all about sonship. Not because we're so wonderful. God reached into these places where we are broken and frail and weak, and yet God's power is made perfect in our weakness. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 12. It's precisely because Paul was so weak in himself, and he didn't try to hide it, that the magnificent power of God was set on display. A magnificent power of God could be experienced in this church because Paul refused to hide his weaknesses. It's there in that place in our frailty where the power of God is magnified. So when you see weakness or struggle in leaders in your small group or your church, or maybe you see weakness and struggle even in yourself, Paul would call us deeper into this lesson of God's grace that his power is at work in people who are frail. He uses us exactly in our frailty as channels of his grace. 
as demonstrations of his power poured through frail and broken people, he can use you too. Do you believe that? That God can use even you and me. It's freedom. Freedom comes from knowing that God can use anybody, even me. God was able to lay hold of love and use Jacob, who was a liar. He laid hold of and used David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. He used Jonah, who was a self-righteous person. He used Peter, who chronically had foot-in-mouth disease. He's constantly stepping, putting his foot in his mouth. He was able to use Mary, a young woman who is so often overlooked in her culture. It's not mattering. He was able to use John, the youngest of all the disciples. And yet that that young man, John, had such an intimacy with Jesus. People that others may overlook, others may discount, others may say there's nothing good that can come from your life. Just like with Paul. Paul was saying he could even use a frail one like me. He can use you too. Someone were to make a movie about how you walk. Someone to take footage of how you live your life, what would they see? Could they identify you as the real thing, a son of God, by examining your gait, examining how you walk in freedom? Freedom of knowing that I've been found. I didn't deserve it, but I've been found by God. Freedom of knowing that he has a purpose of shaping me to be more like him by the power of his word. And he gives me the freedom of being used, even in my mess, even in my frailty. The power of God can be set on display in the life of a son. Would people see that if they took footage of your life? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are the kind of God who loves us. And you set your love and your affection upon us not because we were the most numerous of people or because we were the best, the holiest. But Lord, you set your affection upon us because of who you are. You are the kind of God who loves to forgive sinners. You are the kind of God who loves to free sinners from our enslavement to our sin and give us the gift of walking as sons. Lord, would you transform us, each person here this morning. May we know that freedom of belonging to you. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never trusted you for their salvation, may today be the day. May the day, today be the day where they give up on trying to be good enough for you and instead receive the gift of what Christ has done for them. Lord, make this a house of praise to the Lord Jesus through weakness and frailty and brokenness that we might exalt the risen and reigning Christ, the ascended one who is coming again to make everything new. Lead us in hope, Lord. Lead us forward in hope, walking in freedom as your dearly loved sons. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.